So there's a uh, story in the Old Testament that is not often preached about, and I don't think I've ever even talked about it here, about a guy named Achan, and uh, he stole something, and God knew about it, but nobody else in his camp did, and God punished everyone in the camp for what Achan did. It's called Achan's sin, if you want to Google it later. And the message came, uh, came back as everybody's like, why are we getting punished like this? And God's message to his people was, there's sin in the camp, there's sin in the camp, there's sin in the camp. And this is not a theological, like, should God do that? All I know is, um, it's snowing again outside. <laughs> so I don't know what you guys have been doing. But I'm willing to take confessions after. We don't usually do that, but I'm in for whatever I got to do to stop it outside. Uh, thanks for braving the roads to get here today. We're so excited that you are. You did, so it is, it is one of those Sundays. It does suck, because now everybody's here going, well, you better be good, because I almost got in three wrecks on my way in today, right? So uh, we are kicking off a brand new series today called Wear Love. It's a, uh, a new series on a familiar topic, a topic that we've kind of thrown out and talked about uh, really since the beginning of Eastlake, which was uh, in 2010, so coming up on nine years. Um, it's a term that was a holdover from uh, the time when I was a youth pastor. Listen, I'm not proud of a lot of the things that I did when I was a youth pastor. Um, we once left a kid uh, at a gas station in Liberty Lake on the way home from winter camp, and he was asking for it, so we just did it, you know what I mean? Um, that same kid got on a uh, snowmobile, uh, snowmobile, and we were doing rides, and then some guy thought it would be really cool just to let a student drive it himself, and he drove it into a barbed wire fence. Same kid. I think same camp. Don't quote me on that. That could be two different years. I don't know why we invited him back. Um, I, uh, I also once did a game. You know how, like, you watch the Ellen Show, and this is what youth groups are known for? I did a game that involved a bark collar and a youth leader a blindfolded youth leader. And I, I cannot talk about it any further than that for the sake that this is being recorded and, and uh, it's my only time ever being written up as a youth pastor. <laughs> um, so listen, not proud of a lot of the things that I did in youth ministry, but one of the things that we did do in youth ministry that I am proud of is we came up with a term called wear love. I've been doing uh, this idea of wear love as a form of outreach or as the language uh, for a, a, an outreach. Anything that is, is for other people. Um, we, I, I said a long time ago, I think that for me, there was a verse that kept popping up and popping up and popping up. And you've heard this term, and maybe you didn't even know there's a verse associated with this. Maybe you even didn't make sense of the, le- the letters. Right now you're going, we're doing a series called Malv Eero. I don't have no idea what this is about. Um, or you read it as Make Love for half a second. You're like, well, that's different. That's a series on relationships. We'll be doing that series sometime later. Uh, you'll want to make sure you pencil in that one. Um, this is, uh, for us, for me, a, a series on, on doing things, nice things, kind things for other people, but not just because you just want to be a generous person, although everybody in this world wants to be a generous person, but doing that out of a motive, different sort of a motivation 
a motivation that comes up over and over again in Scripture uh, that is critically important. And the church has kind of understood this. They, they, the church, capital C Church, has understood like a responsibility to be about others and others-oriented and not just about the internal um, thing ever since uh, really Jesus came on the scene. Because from, from the very beginning, um, uh, Christianity, or not Christianity, excuse me, um, Judaism was a very internal-focused religion. It was, this is our nation state. We've been chosen by God. Um, and we've been given special privileges, and if you want a part of this, then there are some steps that you need to go through, uh, one significant one, but you can become Jewish um, if, you, if you want to, and then you, can, then you get involved in all of this blessing, and then Jesus comes on the scene and says, my church is going to be the type of church that understands they are a chosen people, but chosen to be a blessing. And so um, his final words to his disciples were uh, a command. We call it the Great Commission, to uh, go into all the world preaching the gospel um, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is Matthew chapter 28. Um, and making disciples of all nations. So go into all the world, make disciples. Go in, wind, wind build, send. If you, whatever church, if you grew up in a church, they had some sort of a slogan. It involved these two things, but they may have added a few things. But wind, build, send was a big one. We're going to go, we're going to reach them, we're going to teach them, and then we're going to send them. So that's, that's been like the, the big slogan forever. So I'm not, I mean, we're not breaking any new ground with this. This isn't a series like, hey, guys, I got this brand new word from the Lord. Um, it's super unique for East Lake. This is not at all in that way. Um, we seemed, uh, in the churches that I grew up in, in the history, church history that I have a background, we seem to excel in like the whole second part of that thing. So um, go and, and reach the world and then make disciples. Like um, that whole making disciples piece, I felt like we were like really, really good at. And we kind of gave our leftovers to the first part. And if you have a church background, maybe that was like your feeling too. Like they were really good. We were, we were book smart, but like socially awkward. We knew how to like lead a class. We just didn't know how to get people to that class. We knew how to like do church. Like every, there was, uh, you, you knew the format. You knew, you know, coming in and when to raise hands and do these things. It was just really hard to um, get people through the door and to be like, hey, this, this is something I think that would be worth your time. Um, you'd have to like do strategy on that. You'd have to have invite days. Um, we were like, okay, don't invite them 50 weeks of the year, but there's gonna be two weeks of the year. We're gonna let you know when they're coming. And we want you to invite your friends on those Sundays, right? And, uh, and, and so then on that Sunday, nothing weird would happen. It would all be just kind of somewhat normal, and, uh, which, was, which is a good, I was like, why do we do this all the time? And that's exactly what I felt. So then we're like, then when I got the keys to the building, or my keys to the own car, I'm like, let's just do that all the time. So we decided, listen, we are going to be really, really good at outreach. I was kind of sick of the whole, we're going to invite people to a concert, and then we're going to like do a, like a surprise altar call at the end. Um, we're going to do, we're going to invite them to this cool, you know, like, like this, this new series, and then it's going to be a missions auction. We're going to do four offerings for all these people that are starving in other countries. Um, we're going to invite a guest speaker nobody's ever heard of who hates his own church so much that he comes and travels six months a year to go to other churches. We just like, we're like, that system feels a little bit broken to us, to me, okay? So my wife and I and, and then a handful of uh, people when we're starting this out. So what we figured out is the same business truism that many of you, if you own a small business, know. Um, that if there's something, if there's a need in the market that's not currently being met, then no matter how bad of a product you put forth, if you're the only one selling it, then then that's, you, all you have to be is the only guy selling hot dogs. Your hot dogs don't have to be that good, right? And so we said, what if we did a church uh, where we crush it at outreach? Like we are going, everything that we do is going to be filtered through the vision 
through what is a first-time guest, what is somebody who's, who doesn't like buy into the cult, church culture, who actually has preconceived perceptions about what church culture is and why I don't need it and all that crap or whatever. We're going to get people who normally don't give a rip about church to actually consider making it a priority in their life. And I'm not sure, and this is our, our thing, like, um, I'm not sure what discipleship is going to look at. Um, but we're so good at it already, like the structure that we're coming out of, I'm sure we'll figure something out. So that was kind of our thing. Like, here's what I do know. We typically struggle at this, so let's focus on that and make that really good, and I'm sure discipleship will come along at some point, all right? So then we start a church, and uh, a bunch of people show up at Southridge High School. It's great. Uh, we we, um, we get, start getting the word out. We start creating branding. We start creating teams and team captains and flow and trying to work on our systems and make these things right and continue to kind of grow in that way. And then it comes down to we're getting a lot of people through the door. What are we doing with them? That is, and, and that has been a constant kind of uh, constant sort of thing for this church. Just I'm just open transparency with you on our leadership team. Like, we got to make sure that we're doing something. And so what does our discipleship structure look like? And so here's what we knew. We knew that Sunday school classes were out. We're not doing those because um, everybody, you just, you, uh, it's it, like there's pressure to show up early for something like that. And then it's like a small group setting. So you got to like fake your own suicide to get out of those things. That's terrible. We didn't want that. So, and we knew this too. There are some people that really like small groups and some of you do. And, and my wife and I love the idea of getting together with the same group of people on like one night a week or every other week or something like that and and doing sharing a meal together and maybe reading through a book together, maybe just having fun or whatever. Like we have been personally committed to that um, since the beginning. We've been a part of like four different long-term groups. We're part of one right now and some of you are our friends who have been in ones in the past and whatever. Like we, we've done it, but I get it. Like small groups are sometimes like Coldplay. Like some people really like them and some people are like, their songs all sound the same and I'm, I'm out, I don't, want, I don't want it, right? So um, I, I get it, I'm a Coldplay guy. I wrote this message while listening to their Live in Buenos Aires album. So sue me, okay? Um, so then we said, all right, well that might work for some people but it might not be great as like a mass market thing. What if we kept those like secret hidden underground? Yes, we do have some people who are interested in meeting with you weekly. Here's their names right here, right? But don't show anybody. Don't show anybody. If you're not interested, that was me attempting to be a mafia person, but it's not as good with a zip-up hoodie. Anyways, okay. Uh, then we said, all right, well, what if we do like these activity groups where like, you know, we'll do like these, um, you know, some of be based on uh, like uh, sermon discussion groups or they'll go hike Badger, they'll do that. And those have been great. We do a community marketplace and they're good. Some people love them. Some people feel like they're being set up for blind dates, but like on friendship terms. And so I don't know anybody, so I sign up for something. And I get it. Like, again, for some it works, for some it doesn't, whatever. Honestly, for us, it has been a very long history of trial and error in our organization for what we feel like discipleship is going to look like at this church. And our constant refrain in board discussions has been, what does growing look like at Eastlake? What does growing look like at Eastlake? And honestly, full transparency for some, it's meant leaving. <laughs> for some, it's meant, thank you for introducing me to Jesus. I'm now going to take my high school student to this other church with this really great youth group with a youth room and a full-time, full-time, full-time youth pastor who loves them and calls them and throws silly string at their face and whips them with little foam noodles all the time. We have fun together, right? So 
And they take, they take him up on winter retreats and leave him at Liberty Lake. It's super fun. Um, and that's totally fine. And I refuse to speak poorly because some of those have honestly been our favorites. And it's really, it's sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's like, it's good, it's fine. Sometimes it's really hard to see people do that. And you see them around, which is not surprising because the Tri-Cities is um, so big. Um, so then our discussion came to this. What if, what if instead of outreach and discipleship as two sort of different things, what if outreach as discipleship was kind of how we did this thing. Now, it would change how we view outreach a little bit, right? Like our language has to be clear and outreach isn't just bringing people in and it's never been just that. Um, We've always said wear love. Like I love that you would want to wear love to the people who are like you and believe like you and go to the same church that you do. Uh, But wear love consists of people outside of this building uh, as well. And so what if... Uh, what if outreach, what if doing things, what if being a part of something was how we said you grow here at Eastlake, which is not, it's hard because it's not a structured class. I can't like point you to here's four weeks of this and then take six weeks of this and then read this and take this test and then you'll be, then you'll love Jesus again. And that would be different and odd and whatever. But our question kept coming back to how do we help people live out an engaged faith? This is a series on engaged faith. My dream for you would be that for the first time ever, you start giving a rip about church and about community, and you're here. And then as a result of being here, as a result of being around something, something about this culture infects you, and you um, all of a sudden are like passionate about living an engaged sort of faith. And our discussions at the leadership team level have been really an honest evaluation of our own personal growth where we would say things like this, or this phrase keeps coming up over and again. I've grown the most when I've personally engaged the most. I've grown the most when I engaged the most, when I did something with my faith, when I, as a result of what I believe and my conviction that I ought to do something, went out and did something. Um, Have you ever watched a documentary and been inspired to feel something? You ever watch something and at the, at the end you're like, oh man, I feel like, so I remember, uh, like I don't know how many years ago, it's been several years now, that movie came out or that documentary came out about the McDonald's thing, the guy ate McDonald's for like every day for how many, it's called Super Size Me. Um, I remember watching that and feeling different about McDonald's. I felt differently about fast food and that feeling flared up the most as I was pulling into the drive-thru. So that's when I felt like, oh, man, I really shouldn't be doing this. And then I'm going in. So we can all agree that being inspired to a feeling versus inspired to engagement are two separate things, correct? I'm going to talk about a few rules of engagement. If you're taking notes, these would be a couple of things to sort of write down as opening thoughts for this four-part series that's going to be, I think, a pivotal thing for our church. All right, rules of engagement uh, when it comes to, I want to talk about engagement specifically, why I want you to have an engaged faith. Okay, number one or whatever, I don't have numbers on them, but you can be for something and still be actively disengaged. Did you know that you can be for something and be actively disengaged in whatever that thing is? Like you're for it. Like if if people ask you, Listen, I have counseled a lot of divorcees, mostly men who were for their marriage, but by their own admission were actively disengaged in the relationship. 
In fact, last night, <laughs> she's going to kill me for this, but I'm sitting on my couch, and my wife goes, so what are you talking about tomorrow? I said, I'm talking about this and this, and I had this line because I've been so st- stoked about this line. You can be for something and actively disengage. And I said, you know, like marriage. And she's like, yeah, like you sometimes. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, ouch. Pull it. <laughs> go ahead and pull it out sometimes. But there's, there's no way that you could, uh, th- th- there's, there's, there's definitely times that we can all get to a spot where you'd be like, I am for this marriage. Well, yeah, but then why do you spend so much time doing these other things? And even when you're home, you're not really home and you're not really here, but I'm for it. Like emotionally, I'm for this thing. But I thought you loved me. I do. I'm for us being together. I just, whatever. And I'll tell you where else this shows up. You love Eastlake. Maybe not all of you. You're a guest. I'm like, I'm, I'm stepping on your toes. I'm assuming too much. Like, I'm just assuming that with weather, there's not a lot of guests today. If you're here, I'm so thankful that you are. <laughs> really, I am. But I'm guessing for the most part, I'm talking to some home teamers today. So my guess is you're here. You braved the snow. You looked outside, and you'd be like, cool, challenge. Let's do this thing. Because you love it. It's the first church you've ever felt welcomed in. You love what we stand for. You love our approach. Um, and then, but then sometimes I don't see you for a while. And then we run into each other randomly, probably at a fast food drive-thru. We're both feeling convicted. <laughs> and you say things to me like, oh yeah, just uh, need to get back into church. I need to get back into church. And it makes me awkward. It makes you awkward. And we're both looking around going, yeah, how's your kids doing? Soccer and baseball, cool. And you would say something like this, listen, I am for what you guys are all about. In fact, you're the first church I've ever been for what you're about. I'm so, I'm so anti what leather churches are about, but what you're about, I'm for it. It's just, and then I don't know whatever else, you know, whatever circumstances are coming up in your life. And then we run into this gym. Oftentimes, we can't even explain our disengagement with something. We can be actively for, or we can be for something, actively for it, be actively disengaged from it. And then when we, when somebody gets up the gut, it's not me because I'm, I'm way too passive on this, but when somebody goes, yeah, so I, I haven't seen you at church, what's up? Then you would say, I can't, you, you start talking, but then that's not really the reason. And you start saying something else and that's not really the reason. And it's not just church, and it's not just a marriage thing, right? I don't even know why I stopped going to the gym. I really do love you. I don't know why I'm disengaged. I can't explain this. I don't know. I'm for it. I'm for it. Why? Because you can be actively for something and be actively disengaged. That's the second rule of of, uh, engagement. The last one, and then we'll get into a scripture verse that I think is insightful for us. Number three is that not all engagements are equal. You can be for it and disengaged. You cannot even explain your disengagement. And then you can, all, then you can feel like I'm going to participate in something or I'm going to do something, but I'm not really into it. Like it's like, it's an engagement, but it's a passive engagement in this way. And here's what I mean by this. Have you ever seen somebody on Facebook or Twitter or, or whatever go, okay, everybody, help me out. Settle this for me. Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> and they just throw something out there. Cats or dogs? Should I cut my hair? Who wins best picture tonight? And all they want from you and all they want from anything is for somebody to say something. They want engagement. It's like cheap engagement. It feels really juvenile. Like at some point you like got into it and then you realized, oh, they don't really care. They just want people to like and comment and do this. Like, well, that's kind of dumb. I'm out, right? 
That feels, that's engagement, but it's not really engagement, guys, okay? That's, that's people wanting to feel good about themselves in that way. All right, so now that we've talked about engagement, I want to introduce to you what I think is Paul, there's a, there's a verse that kind of summarizes why I think where love is important and, and why engagement in this way, why engagement with your faith is so critical. So I'm going to give you uh, three different, what I'm calling where love anchors, anchors about what, what we believe about where love, specifically related to love, um, because we're wearing love. Um, and then we're going to go through some verses, and you're going to see these things pop up over and over again. I tried to do it like in a sequential order, but then it just, he, he bounces around a few times, Paul in his letters to the Romans. Um, so I'm going to give you all three, um, and then we'll go in through a, a couple of passages of verses. You'll see them, and then we'll close with that. So uh, number one is love is something that you do. A wear love anchor, something we critically believe about Eastlake, or about um, wear love, is this, that love is something that you do. It's not a feeling. Engagement is more than just a feeling. You can be for other people in terms of love. And I'm not talking about love in terms of uh, eros, as C.S. Lewis would say, the different four types of love. It's not about romantic love. It's not about agape, God's love for you. I'm talking about the charis sort of grace experience, love for others that makes its way through, oftentimes through the form of charity, although charity feels like uh, I'm better than you, so I'm giving you something. That's, but that's not it. This is the, the love that you have for others, the grace that you have for others. It takes the form of actually doing something. Love isn't the absence of hate. It's the absence of indifference. It's not enough to say to somebody, well, I don't hate you. That's not like, oh, good, we're on the same page then. Um, it's not the absence of hate. Love is the absence of indifference. I don't care about you, or I don't, whatever. Love shows and makes its way known in a way that is actively engaged, again, because it's against, it's anti-indifference. And then love is something that you never stop doing. So here's what I want to do. Romans chapter 12, um, we, we've uh, spent some time in, in Romans even just a couple, couple of weeks ago in chapter 8 for one of the messages that we just did in the last series. But um, in chapter 12, he kind of, this is his letter to a church that he's never met. Um, uh, Rome is in the capital city, so it's this church that's like, like uniquely and ironically growing under the thumb of the Roman Empire in a, in a growingly intolerant society towards Christianity um, they continue to expound and expand and, and grow. And so um, he's writing to them, hoping to come visit, offering his advice as apostle, offering his advice as somebody who's gone and planted plenty of churches and has kind of been an outside advisor for all of these different ones. And now this one's kind of grown that somebody else started, somebody else was going, but he feels like a parental authority towards this thing. So he writes to them and he includes all kinds of things about uh, and, it, and it's very technical in nature. It's one, of, it's one of his least personal ones. So if you want, like, feel good, easy to read, go with, like, Galatians or Ephesians, right? Romans is very much, I don't know you. I'm going to slightly try to impress you with my technical language, but this is all super deep and super great. So this is, you need to know kind of what's going on with this. All right. In chapter 12, he gets to a verse that we're all probably, if you grew up in church, slightly familiar with. Um, and it signals a transition from uh, his writing. Typically, Paul, you can almost definitively split his writing pieces into two things. Um, it, almost all of his letters start with a, an exposition about who you are in Christ. 
um, what Christ has done for you, what, what being a Christian means, like all of the stuff that you have no control over that God did in your life. And then the second half of every book or every letter would be sort of an exposition on what you should do in light of what we just talked about. So uh, specifically in uh, Ephesians, you see this. Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about who we are in Christ. Ephesians 4 through 6 is all about what to do in light of that, right? So this is the shift, basically, in the book of Romans. He's gone through a bunch of who we are and what, what are our stances in relation to justification through faith and not by works so that no man can boast. And then he comes into chapter 12. Here's the transitory verse or the transitive verse. Here's what it says. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper uh, worship. Do not conform. This has been on bumper stickers and t-shirts forever, right? Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, which has been translated so many different ways, depending on whether you're coming from a progressive or conservative thing, right? This is this could be like, hey, uh, don't be like them. Don't, don't do the things that they do. Or this could be like, don't watch HBO. Don't, don't buy all that stuff. You don't need that, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We isolate it almost to a mind sort of thing, right? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, as good, pleasing, and perfect will. A perfect summary verse, a perfect like, gosh, we should all get this. This would be a great, if you're like committed yourself to like memorizing some scripture verses, there are verses that are more valuable in different like, um, uh, in different episodes of life that, that tend to rise up and be like super important. This would be one of those. Like this has been in my mind and in my memory and I could probably quote this for you, maybe not word for word, but I could get the very good essence uh, like many of you, right? I'm not gonna conform. I don't wanna conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Everybody does this one thing. I know that the church has been called to be countercultural. I know that I'm called to do my life differently. So I'm gonna transform my mind through the renewal of my mind, which is thinking through things differently. Everybody thinks this is how it's supposed to be and this is the way that it works. But what if in light of God's mercy in my life, what about in light of God's scripture, how do I see something different in this way? So this is like basic Christianity, call to Christianity, we should all get this. This is Paul saying, I don't want you to miss this. I don't even know you, but this is critically important in this way. Then he goes in almost immediately, just a few verses later, into an exposition on love. Why does he do that? Because Jesus, in his gospel writings, shows up and is uh, repeatedly insists on Love one another as yourself. He reaches into the history books. He pulls out this phrase and says, you're gonna love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. And all of the scriptures hinge and hang on this one law. There's something new that has been introduced and it seems to centralize around this idea of love. So this is critically important. This is what Paul would say is the way that we do things different. We do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, which are, which are um, not scripted by love, but scripted by the, by the advancement of self. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to survive, survival of the fittest. It's all about me and what you can offer me. And Paul's saying, don't conform to that mindset any longer. Instead, pursue this idea, this option of love. So he then, in, in a few verses later, verse 10, and, and I'm only pulling a few verses out of this because we just don't have time for all of it. You can read this on your own time if you want. But he goes into an exposition of what love looks like. 
Then he says this, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Engagement, engagement, engagement. This is something that you do. Love is something that you do not something that you feel. He's like, be real compassionate towards people. When you see people hurting and, and hungry and, and without something, think about them. Like, spend time going, I feel bad about it. No, he's like, practice hospitality. This is going to require an engagement. It's gonna require you to do something because this form of love requires that you do something. Then, after this passage, he takes what is a unique turn, and I want to try and attempt to explain it, and, and I, I, this, this is kind of Brent's interpretation, and, and I, I think it's right, so, but like, don't quote me on this, okay? So he goes in, in the very next chapter, chapter 13, just a few verses later, into a, uh, a paragraph on governing authorities, um, in fact, if, if your Bible has like little summary subheadings, it's going to say sub, um, respect or subjection to the governing authorities. And this has been a verse that has been oftentimes used in sort of a political series. If we've, and I've, I've even taught this verse before, um, where it's, uh, you know, uh, the, the, he, he's writing to them and he's, and he's writing to, again, a people who are um, like in full sight of Roman oversight. Uh, they see it all the time. They're, they're hands-on. They're not in a suburb like Jerusalem or Antioch or anything else. They are in the heart of the Roman Empire. And so Paul would say things like, subject yourself to the emperor. There's nobody in authority over you that God is not allowed to be in place over you. So therefore, that doesn't mean like put up with everything. That doesn't mean if they ask you to do something that's against your like convictions, do it. There's some, there's some nuance in there that we, can, that we can talk about another time. But it's weird because he goes, transform yourself by the renewing of your mind. Do something different. Love in this way. Love people in the way that you would love yourself. Do, uh, do for other people. Never be lacking in zeal. Honor one another above yourselves. Like, like that's different from the, the way that the world works. And then he's like, pulls through the car left real quick and be like, oh yeah, I need to talk about government real quick. Um, subject yourselves to the governing authorities because they're in place because God put them in place over you. It feels weird. Except when you think about how it kind of goes in light of love in this way. Because I think what he's done here is showed you that one of the things that the government, any government, isn't good at is loving you. <laughs> it would be incredibly awkward for you to set up a time with one of our senators or one of our representatives and sit across the coffee table from them and be like, I just need to bring something up. I just, I'm not sure that you love me. Like, what are you doing for me? And then you sip. Like, that would be awkward. Their, their job is not to love you, okay? Their job is to make sure that nobody else lives their, such, their, lives their lives in such a way that it operates as a hindrance to you. You can't just build your fence on your property wherever you want because you're going, you know, I want five more feet. Well, yeah, but that infringes on your neighbor who owns that property. So legally, they would call the city and be like, hey, Chris Pitzer's building his fence five feet on my property. Y'all need to come do something about it because that's not gonna work. 
that's not going to fly. And then the government rightly steps in and operates as mediator to say, you can't hurt you. Stop hurting you. If you keep hurting you or you keep hurting her, we're going to put you in jail. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get a ticket first, and then you're not going to pay that ticket. So then I'm going to set up a court, you know, all that kind of stuff. They are in like keep each other from killing each other kind of mode. When, when a government operates at its best, that's what it's doing. But guys, that's not what Paul is describing as love. He's, he's, he, he goes into this, listen, look at this. Uh, verse eight, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Then he reaches back into a familiar law pattern. He's, he's drawing the attention, he's contrasting law versus love. Previously, you have been a part of a people group who was obsessed with law, right? The, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, obsessed with law. You got these tablets given to you by God. And on them, verse, uh, verse nine, the commandments, thou shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal and you shall not covet. All of those things are great. But it would be weird to go to somebody and say, aren't you happy that I haven't murdered you? Isn't that an expression of the fact that I love you? I haven't stolen anything from you this week. I love you. No, 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 no. That's, that's simply keeping me away. He's like, listen, don't settle for that. This call to love is more than that. You can be indifferent to somebody and not steal and not hurt them and not murder them and not because you're like, hey, I wouldn't want anybody to do that to me, so I'm not gonna do that to you. I can, and, and this is a common way that we kind of, uh, for most of society, go out and do life. Hey, you get to do you. As long as it doesn't infringe on me, I commit to not infringing on you. You do, you do, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and, that, and that's fine. And we build our own little empires, and as long as it doesn't hurt you, I get to do whatever I want. And from a law standpoint, that's kind of right. But Paul is saying, don't conform to that way of living. The subsistence of your life is not filled up and not entirely put up with, or, or, or not, uh, the sum of it is not, look what I did not do to other people. Isn't that a great way to form love? He's like, no, no, no. All of that is summed up in this commandment to love. Whatever else other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you take Jesus at his word, it includes all of that. I should not have to go through and address all of that. But it goes beyond that. He's, verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. But it's so much more than that is what he's saying. This is so critical. Uh, Verse 11 of Romans chapter 13, and do this, understanding the present time. Then he goes into this idea of, of, of um, uh, contrasting how it's, it's so important. Like we understand how uh, the timing of something affects us and inspires us to do something. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is nearly here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put aside and put on. I'm gonna put aside something. I'm gonna put on something different. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So what do you mean when you're talking about wearing love? About 12 or 13 years ago, I kept reading this verse along with 
a lot of other Pauline writings where he talks about putting off and putting on. And he steals this. This is not like biblical. This was an ancient narrative. This is their way of like choosing to do something. Or um, all, all of the Greek philosophers talk about uh, putting off this way of life and putting on a new mindset, putting on something. Clothe yourself with Christ, who summed everything up with this idea of love, with this idea of the ethic that I'm calling you is not to avoid doing harm, you know, harm and pain to other people. It's something significantly more than that. Listen, the government is in place to make sure that takes that none of that is, is there, and you should listen to that. And yeah, you, you, that's all encompassed in that. But what I'm calling you to do is not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by thinking through, if I'm to love that neighbor as myself, that love thing is something I do, not a feeling, and it's not the absence of pain or hate. You don't love somebody because I don't hate you. It's the opposite of indifference. And then, and then, and then, he continues to say, and it doesn't stop there. That verse, I, I skipped it and I, I gotta go back to it. Let no debt remain outstanding except, this is verse eight, except the continuing debt to love one another. In other words, Paul is saying this debt never gets repaid. You can never get to, at some point in your life, being like, that's it, I'm good. I have loved all I need to love. That would be weird. That would be so weird if, if at, uh, at some point in marriage, like, you get to the spot where, like, you know, we celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary, and, and uh, I have loved you, and it's been enough, hasn't it? Haven't, haven't, haven't I done a great job? <laughs> or congratulations, kid, you're 18. <laughs> Legally, I have done my duties, right? Now, there's part of that, but there's also a part of it where, like, you're, you're, not, you're not telling your kid, I've stopped loving you. I'm just going to stop providing for you at this point. So you're going to go get a job and provide for yourself now. But I don't, so that has nothing to do with my love for you. It'd be weird. It'd be weird to, like, get to the point where I've met my quotient or my quota. I'm good. My love quota is pretty full. He's like, this is going to be continuing debt, a continuing debt, Karl Barth wrote this, and I've been quoting him lately because I've been reading through a commentary of his on Romans. Love of one another ought to be undertaken as the protest against the course of the world, and it ought to continue without interruption. Love is something that you do. Love is not anti-hate, it's anti-indifference, and it's a debt that is constantly needing to be repaid, that I'm never out of it. So, and the best part about this all, that sort of engagement is how we really do think you are going to grow in your faith um, because I think it lines up the best with what Jesus taught. And so our goal, like our, our leadership team has said, all right, in light of this, we want people to wear love. So we are going to consistently, we're coming up with this system in play. We're, we've, we've hired a, a project manager for this thing. We've got this idea, a couple of ideas that are gonna come out over the next couple of weeks that are going to be in place to help you not just think about this and be like, that's a really good thing to think about. Because you can be for something and actively disengage in it, but to engage in it so that you will grow in your faith through the things that you do. Now, right away, there's people getting uncomfortable and be like, oh, Here's what I need, more stuff in my schedule. Listen, we're gonna talk about that next week. I'm talking about the lens at which you look through these things. I'm not necessarily saying you need to add things to your schedule to make this work, but when was the last time you thought through the way that you think about the things and the responsibilities that you have? Yes, you're parenting three kids at home. Yes, you're a stay-at-home mom. Yes, you've got all this kind of stuff. Have you thought about how, are you doing it out of an obligation? Are you doing it out of 
Um, my goal is to make sure that they don't hurt themselves until they're, eight, you know, but until they're 18 and that's their own choice, right? Are you doing this out of, I'm just like in maintenance mode? Or are you doing it out of, I'm doing it as a response to how Christ has called me to wear this sort of love in this situation? So, I know you're busy. I'm busy. What I don't need is more things filling up my schedule. What I do need every once in a while is somebody to help me process through the things that I'm currently doing, take an honest assessment of kind of my availability and where in my life am I going through the motions? Where in my life am I, have I accepted indifference and not truly taken up the act of love? Where have I failed to renew my mind and seen how I am called to wear love in my situation, in my place? So for the next three weeks, that's what we're going to do going to be doing. And I don't want you to miss it. In fact, if there was one series, I could be like, hey, please, please don't miss. Or if you do have to miss, please listen. Please log into the podcast thing or do something or ask me for my notes. I'll email them to you. That's fine. They're going to be all scatterbrained. It'll be, all, it'll be good, though. You'll get it. I want you to follow along with this because this is where we're headed and this is what we're doing. If we could, what if, what if we could be the church in our community that was known for wearing love, the way that they do it, man, the way that they um, act is so different from what I'm so used to, not just in church life, but in just a world life. What is that about? I want to know more about that. That's, that's powerful. That could change a city. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Let's pray. Father, May we be the type of Christians who heed Paul's advice um, and offer our bodies as living sacrifices, um, and may we be the type of people who, in doing so, can discern your good, pleasing, perfect will and all of the things that go along with that. And I, I pray that we would be, over the next couple of weeks, challenging ourselves to not just nod in agreement, to not to be for something emotionally, but then to actually put some traction to it, do something about this listen and learn what it would take to wear love in the life that you've called us to live in the sort of season of life that we're in, uh, whether we're parents, bosses, managers, employees, um, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, all that stuff. There's so many different arenas. I, I, I know uh, that, that we're all kind of unique in situations, but the, the call to wear love in that is, is the same. It's a, it's a siren call that, that invites us into a life that goes beyond just living for ourselves. So give us the wisdom to know what to do, and the courage to come back next week and learn more about it. In your name.